1: Hello, and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, with me, Vas Christodoulou. How would you spend a trillion dollars? It's a fantasy answered by my guest this week, the new scientist journalist and evolutionary biologist Rowan Hooper, whose new book is a thought experiment serving to remind all of us of the power of science to reshape our world. He took me on a whistle-stop tour of mega-projects, from geoengineering to colonising the moon, that we could embark on with what, in global terms at least, is a relatively small amount of money. This book is perhaps a kind of parlor game, with you taking the role of, shall we say, a philanthropist, or perhaps a, a sort of James Bond villain who has a trillion dollars in the bank. How much is a trillion dollars? You know, what can we compare that to? And who has that kind of money?
0: Well, so first of all, I think rather than a Bond villain, it's more like uh, you know Brewster's Millions. Uh, I'm the the lead character in that.
1: Right. You're, you're Richard Pryor.
0: I'm Richard Pryor. So in that, he had thirty million dollars to spend in thirty days, and he would get a three hundred million dollar fortune at the end of it if he managed to do that. So that's the kind of it's that writ large. I've got uh, you know I've got a trillion dollars. That's a thousand billion dollars to spend on, and I've also like in Brewster's Millions, I've set ground rules as well. So I have to spend it for the good of humanity, basically, or for the environment or for advancing science. So I can't spend it on bond villain schemes of like buying islands up or you know military schemes or media or politics stuff like that. So yeah and uh, as for who who has it? So no individual has a trillion dollars yet but Jeff Bezos is predicted to be a personal trillionaire by 2026. So he's the closest. Several corporations are worth a uh, trillion or 2 trillion. Amazon's getting on for nearly two trillion now, and Google, Facebook, Apple—they're all up there as well. So corporations and individuals don't really have that much, but but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of money out there. You know, Joe Biden just passed a 1.9 trillion dollar COVID stimulation bill in the U.S. So there's they've got that money to spend there just in the U.S. And he's got a two trillion dollar green stimulus bill a climate bill that will hopefully get through. So, you know, that's 4 trillion dollars right there that the US has got to spend. So, um there's a lot of money out there.
1: It's both unimaginably large and in the grand scheme of things not that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is that 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 weird both of those things are true. On a personal scale, like none of us will ever have anything like that much money, but on the grand scheme of things it's 1% of world GDP. This sort of money gets chucked around by like world banks, by states. You know, like I, th- I think six trillion was created by quantitative easing last year, just last year. But then since two thousand and eight, no one really knows how much has been made, just li- and literally made, created uh, to bail the banks out. It may-, it may be about ten trillion. So money gets created, it gets made, it gets borrowed, uh, it gets. Plowed into things on the military, it gets like the world spends one point something like one point five trillion on the on the military every year. You know, so yeah, exactly. It's like one percent of world GDP. It's uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not it's not all that much, but of course, it's also a gigantic amount. So yeah.
1: So let's uh, let's begin our, our game. You were a biologist. Before you're a science journalist. So let's start with how you would spend that money on some scientific mega projects. Say you wanted to create an artificial life form (laughs) using our money. What sort of biological life form would we get for a trillion dollars?
0: Well, I think you could get uh, a eukaryotic organism. So that's a complex organism, the same as, as us, the same as all, all plants and animals uh, and all fungi. So eukaryotes are the, comp- the most complex sort of life form that we know of. And we're quite close already to making a synthetic version of those. So um, you might remember a few years ago, about 10 years ago now, Craig Venter's team, Made a synthetic bacterial life form. And by that, they just replicated the genome of the bacterium and then put it into like a hollowed out shell of another bacteria and rebooted it and the thing started growing. So that was a kind of, that was the first synthetic life form, but it was only a bacteria. Now people are doing it with a vastly more complex eukaryotic life form. Um, it's not been done yet because it, it has taken a long time to do. It's still, they're still doing it. They're debugging it. It's like massively complex, but that's even without our investment, actually, that's going to happen sooner or later. So with a bit of money from this book, we could speed that up and then start using it to, because once you've got the artificial life form, the synthetic life form, you can then start tinkering with the, its whole genome very, Very easily, and make it create different things. So you might have a yeast. So yeast, I should have said, is going to be the first synthetic life form. You'll have a yeast that you can then make, be able to, you know, make a biofuel or sequester carbon dioxide or make drugs, make pharmaceuticals. So you know that's it's going to be amazing once we get this first simple organism, and then later down the road, even though yeast, it, it will have taken a long time. It's going to be you know, a huge achievement to do this. Once we've done that, it opens the door for then even more complex organisms, eventually synthetic animals. So very exciting stuff.
1: But we're not talking about the island of Dr. Moreau for a trillion dollars. (laughs) No, no. Uh, The
0: the, the funny thing is that, um, so the yeast project, as I say, it's nearly finished really. So we wouldn't really take that much money to to get it over the line. And then I think most of the investment that I talk about in the book would be on then really getting it up and running in different projects to make biofuel or fix CO2 or, to, you know, to deacidify the oceans and things like that. And so actually a simple sort of synthetic life form, it's not going to cost too much to make one of those.
1: How about finding alien life that already mm. exists? is a trillion dollars enough to confirm whether or not we're alone in the universe and where do we start looking
0: well we can't ever confirm we're alone or not because there's always somewhere else we haven't looked you know but i think there's a pretty good chance that we would find a bacterial life form in the solar system i would start on on venus and mars because they're the closest um, we've already got rovers on Mars that are half looking for uh, old, extinct, dead life forms on Mars, and then some of the moons of Jupiter and Saturn are very interesting in terms of possibly having uh, conditions for life there. And actually, that's also relatively cheap in in the scheme of my book to send decent probes to those those planets and moons would only cost in the realm of you know tens of billions of dollars. So I think it's a, a, you know, in that chapter, it's a a kind of no brainer. Why don't we get out there a bit more? And we are, you know, we have missions on the way to to Jupiter's moon Europa and Saturn's moon Titan, but NASA has to eke its money out, has to take a very long time getting things over the line, getting funding. So in my world with this money, uh, you could just speed this along. And, you know, you don't know, we can't, Say that there'll be, we'll find a a life form there, and it's, and if we do, it certainly is only going to be a very simple thing. But I think the the excitement and the scientific excitement and and knowledge we would get from finding a different life form is extraordinary. You know, it's hard to think of another breakthrough that would be as impactful as that.
1: It's the best bang for your inspirational buck.
0: Yeah actually that's a good way of putting it. I think definitely there's lots of things that uh lots of sort of different experiments I talk about doing in the book but if you spent, you know, a few tens of billions of dollars sending really interesting probes out to these places and if one of them found a, a life form then wow yeah
1: When it comes to space, looking for life is one thing and settling is quite another. It's a goal that real world billionaires like Musk and Bezos already have in their sights. So why would we want to build a colony in space and where should we build it? So why you want to
0: do it depends on on who you ask, you know, so Elon Musk wants to build it on Mars and he wants to make it. He wants. To, he thinks that we need an insurance policy because if we cock up life on this planet, we need somewhere else for the human race to survive. Jeff Bezos wants to do it possibly on the moon. And his reasoning is that he wants eventually to get, or his stated reasoning is is to get heavy industry off of Earth and onto the moon so that we can take some of the industrial pressure off of Earth and just do it on the moon where it doesn't matter because it's a dead bit of rock. So I think both of those reasons are a little bit far-fetched. Certainly Elon Musk's one, I don't I just don't think we need that's a reason to go to to settle on another planet. And Bezos, I, I do I do like the idea of that, but it's going to be a long, long time before we're able to take heavy industry off the earth. So I think you need another reason to go and that's to do science. And and so I would choose the moon. The moon's easier to get to. We've been there before. It's much closer. And we're going to need to go there anyway before we go anywhere else in the solar system. And there's already quite a few missions on the way to the moon from China and the US in particular. So we could just boost them up a bit. And get there, get to the far side of the moon, start doing some really cool stuff there. Some fantastic science you can do there. And you know, the far side is shielded from the the radio noise of Earth, so you're able to have this fantastic, pristine view of the of the of the galaxy and of the universe. Um, So there's some really interesting science you can do there, and you can start um, mining water. On the moon, there's water in craters on the moon. You can live in uh, lava tubes on the moon, shielded from radiation. So there's lots of really interesting stuff. People are already going there, so I would put money towards that because we don't want to be just being dragged on the coattails of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and or the Chinese space program or, or the US space program that have their own agendas if we put some money into it you could make and i propose making an alliance called the terran alliance that would be make the moon available for everyone you know it's it's not just about these rich billionaires going up there and staking their claim and doing what they like you know it's making it equitable and giving the resources and the breakthroughs and the science all of that discovery making it more equitably spread for everybody
1: Let's talk about another form of life that we're all uh, very familiar with these days: artificial intelligence. So unimaginably huge sums are already going into machine learning and deep learning. Can you summarize for us the current state of the art and explain how you might use that money to make a real difference in the uh, AI race?
0: Yeah. So it's an absolute it is a race. It's a race to get. Well, there's kind of two different aspects of the race, really. One is to get quantum supremacy, which would be like a a decent working quantum computer, which is this sort of fabled, completely different way of calculating using quantum mechanics, which is would make computers wildly, unimaginably faster than current computers. So, if anyone gets a, a proper one of those working, they you instantly get like an incredible advantage the other kind of computer race is to get an ai an artificial intelligence that has human level intelligence so that is able to have an intelligence that's adaptable and that can be moved from one subject to another so at the moment we have we have ais that are far better at us than than playing chess or playing video games or something like you know different but they're siloed into one thing. They they become better than any other entity in the world at, at that thing, like playing chess, for example, or Go. But you can't take the Go AI and make it, you know, be a world-class painter or writer or you know, or even drive a car, right? So something that has human level intelligence that's able to transfer its skills across all different subjects and areas, that's the other race that's going on. And yeah, people are investing he- very heavily in all of these things. And for the same reason as investing in the moon, I want to invest in this so that one company doesn't get there and dominate the rest of the world and then lord it over the rest
1: of us with their power. So that's You're a very why- ethical trillionaire in this scenario, aren't you? <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you know, I, I, that's why I, I set myself those rules at the beginning to stop myself, you know, to, to rein in any tendencies that you might have to. Become a, a bond villain, like you say. You
1: know, do you think obtaining or surpassing a human level of reasoning is desirable? You know, should some of the money go into engaging with the ethical ramifications around all of this and making sure these AIs uh, are restrained to act in in the human interest?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are already very focused on that, but I would, you know, if I really did have this money to invest, I would definitely put. A significant amount into that. I guess I th- the question I thought you're going to say is, do I think it's going to happen anytime soon? And i actually don't think it is. I, d- I think we're very far off getting up to a human level intelligence. People have been predicting it for um, you know decades now that we're we're almost there, but we're always almost there. And and everyone I spoke to, all the computer scientists that I spoke to, said this is still a long, long way off. So. You know, that's not to say some really interesting things are happening, especially, you know, Google's DeepMind company. That's just doing some really fascinating stuff. But I don't think we're we're near to a a human-level AI yet.
1: With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down
1: so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 bit get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 bit to get 20 20 get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch
0: 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com
1: let's come back a bit closer to home Mm. So should we be spending this money on these exotic ambitions like space colonization or AI when we could simply give all the money to people in poverty?
0: Yeah, I think probably yes, we should. <laughs> um, so it's funny actually. I I, I wasn't going to have this as a as a chapter in the book. Give the money away, but then I ended up speaking to someone. Um, so all the scientists I spoke to. I said, look, supposing you had this money, what could you do in your field? Could we really, you know, crack such and such a problem? And one guy said, well, look, I, it's just unethical to do anything that you're suggesting. You should give the money away. And I was a bit irritated, actually, because I wanted him to play along with the game. <laughs> and, you know, it's a thought experiment. I don't really have the money. You know, what <laughs> if I... and. Um, but he absolutely was insistent, as if I'd had the money, that I was gonna be wasting it on some project. So um, but then I went away and thought and looked at what people are doing, what people are doing in the attempt to eliminate poverty. And actually, tens of thousands and, and millions of dollars is spent in different experiments that where you literally give cash out to people who are poor, and then you watch what happens. And this has happened all over the world, many different communities. And what it generally shows, all the results show, is that for very poor people, it lifts them out of poverty sustainably. So you can give people a lump sum, and then they might be forever lifted out of poverty and their and their families. And that is a truly amazing thing and a, and a very challenging thing, even as a thought experiment. So uh, for sure, when you think about, oh, let's spend money on going to the moon or looking for aliens and stuff like that, then you think, well, when you can change the lives of billions of people right now with this money, then you have to do that. You have to think, well, that's got to be a better use of of doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's chapter one in the book is all about what happens if we just give the money away.
1: So many people from across the political spectrum advocate for a universal basic income. Is our trillion dollars going to cover that?
0: <laughs> no, absolutely nowhere near enough. It wouldn't be enough even in the US to do it if you just chose one big country. So the way I've done it is I just arbitrarily picked um, a number. Uh, it's not arbitrary, actually, it's like the number that uh, I think the World Bank uses to define. Extreme poverty, which is like anyone who earns under two dollars a day or one one dollar fifty a day, and if you take all of those people, that's I can't remember exactly how many in the world. It's a, maybe a couple of billion. If you take all of those people who are under that who earned that sum or under, and divide the trillion dollars by them equally and give and just spread it out, then then each person gets around a thousand dollars of a lump sum. And and that would be a life-changing amount. So you can't start universal basic income, but you can kind of do the next best thing. And what it might do is show how universal basic income would actually be a really profitable thing to do. So a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people think if you give money away, people are just going to waste this money. But people don't waste the money when, when you do give it away. And actually they become... They make money back. You know, they use the money to set themselves up in a business. They invest it themselves, and then they they ratchet things up so it, it pays for itself, and they have better health outcomes as well. So you have to spend less on them in terms of of health costs later in their lives. So, yeah, giving money away pays for itself, and so does um, a universal basic income as well. Although it, obviously it's, it needs the whole economic system needs rewiring to make it happen.
1: We're giving this money away unconditionally, aren't we? We're not. We're not attaching it to strings and, and particular criteria. Well,
0: um, we can. It's nice. I think it's nice to attach it to. You can attach it to education of children and say, you know, make sure you you get this money, but use some of it to make sure your kids go to school, and that has huge. Down the road benefits, not just for the, the kids' lives themselves, but uh, for the money that they make for their health, health outcomes, and for climate change as well, because if kids are educated, particularly girls, they have fewer children and that has a smaller impact on the, globally on the environment. So lots of reasons to, to put conditions on it, but I think the
1: yeah the most compelling one is,
0: uh, is uh, for education.
1: Of course, one thing that affects the poorest with disproportionate severity is climate change. And a trillion dollars doesn't feel like very much compared to the scale of the challenges ahead of us this century. How do you even begin making a dent in the climate crisis? Do we focus on biodiversity, meat, decarbonisation, manufacturing? What are the options?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you've absolutely nailed it. A trillion dollars is nowhere near enough. So if you just take one of those things, so I look at all of those things in different chapters in the book, but if you, the first one to look at is decarbonizing the, the entire energy sector or decarbonizing, just going carbon zero. So getting rid of all emissions from different things. And that's so huge because it's not just sort of putting up windmills <laughs> on solar panels and getting our electricity from there. That is quite relatively easy and, and it's happening. It's All the transport sector, but all the construction sector as well. Making all of that carbon neutral is a a gigantic project. And uh, at first, I so there's a guy at Stanford called Mark Jacobson who has laid out a a global roadmap for how we would get to a carbon zero economy uh, by 2050, and He's just put it all together, all the things you need to do to get all these different sectors decarbonized. And when I was speaking to him, I said, "Ah, so you know, imagine I've got a trillion dollars to give to you. That that should do it, shouldn't shouldn't it?" <laughs> uh, very naive, and you know, he's he's like, "No, no, uh, I make it a hundred trillion cost a uh, hundred trillion to do that." And then when when you start to pick it apart, you see the scale of the problem. So yeah, the agriculture and the food industry is is another one so but to come back to the question how do you make a dent in it i think in the end i would put about half the trillion dollars into speeding the transition to carbon zero um so it's not going to get us completely over the line but it could really help speed up if you give a lot of money towards getting us off fossil fuels basically and the other half i would put into ecosystem restoration which would tackle the biodiversity problem uh, or biodiversity crisis and also draw down a lot of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere so that has the advantage of perhaps buying us a bit of time if you get if you can get a huge amount of carbon out of the atmosphere by 2050 it just might keep warming within 2 degrees from pre-industrial times and 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 just stop avert the very worst effects of climate change that we're currently looking at.
1: Coming back to some of the scientific mega projects that we started off with, one that we haven't touched upon is geoengineering. I mean, this is really one of the most um, ambitious and crazy <laughs> ideas that's, that's out there in the, in the public eye at the moment. What do you think of the idea of, of geoengineering to help limit the climate catastrophe? <laughs>
0: I I look at that in, in chapter seven of the book and yeah, it's a very dangerous path to go down for several reasons. You know, one is that people think if you start offering that as a solution, people would just won't cut emissions and, you know, they won't even do the small amount that we're doing at the moment, you know, or think that we have an out, think that we can have a technological escape route to this problem the other is that the effect of the cure can be worse than the problem or not worse it might be as bad as the problem because we don't really know what would happen if you start dumping millions of tons of sulfate into the atmosphere to try and screen out the sun you know
1: like um, the matrix cartoon where it ended very badly <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so yeah it's it's it, it's um, frightening for those reasons, but I I really think that we have to get on this and do some research. So people won't even do the research for it on a very small scale to check how dangerous it's going to be and what are going to be the side effects of it and, and how effective it's going to be. So we just don't know and we really do need to know because if things get do get really bad, you could see a situation in you know i don't know in a decade or so where suddenly there's people wake up that we've got a gigantic crisis on our hands and we need to immediately do something about it and the only thing will then will be geoengineering and like solar radiation management and we don't want to rush into this so we've got to get the research done so uh, so definitely, I'd spend money on the research. You don't spend money on the on doing it yet um, because we don't know. But then I, you can look at geoengineering in in two ways. There's the kind of traditional way, which is like I, we've been talking about, flying up in the air and putting a, a solar screen in the atmosphere to screen out uh, solar radiation. But then there's there's a kind of more biological way of of, of kind of engineering the planet, which is just to draw down more carbon in different ways. So I've looked at that and, and I'd end up spending, I think, quite a lot of money on, on biological ways of drawing down carbon, which effectively means planting trees, letting bits of old land regenerate. And when I say bits of old land, there's you know millions of square kilometres of it that you could allow to regenerate. That would draw down a lot of carbon um, and start to draw us back from the edge.
1: I definitely like the idea of planting more trees than injecting sulfur into the... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we've looked at life, we've looked at space, we've looked at poverty, we've looked at the climate. Let's say that all the listeners of this podcast go out and buy the book and you get your trillion dollars in royalties. (laughs) Which of these mega projects is going to make the cut?
0: I think it would be biodiversity. You know, if I had if i did have some huge amounts of money you could see spending it on areas of areas that are th- totally threatened by deforestation for example and and by sea level rise or whatever some sort of development and and protecting those areas you know it's really vital that we do that especially in the amazon so you could spend you know a relatively modest amount of money and protect gigantic swathes of land around the world. And it wouldn't just be a sanctuary for those species living there. You need to expand some of the ecosystems that have been degraded and allow them just to grow back out again. So if you do that, you. this is why I like this project, because it doesn't just address the biodiversity problem. It also works to draw carbon out of the atmosphere. So you get two bangs for your buck. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I remember um, a couple of years ago, the Environment Minister of Brazil suggested that rich countries should pay Brazil not to cut down the Amazon. And, um, you know, people were outraged at that. And, but, but actually, I think we should, you know, and, and you could, and it, and it wouldn't cost that much to do it. And the amazon is a is a globally important resource that if it disappears, everyone is screwed completely, so we just cannot let it go so if there would be a way of of paying to ensure that didn't happen, and obviously you'd need assurances that the bolsonaro government isn't is gonna actually protect allow it to be protected, then I think that would be money that would be worth looking at.
1: Rowan, it's been an absolute pleasure spending this money with you. (laughs) (laughs) If only we really had it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. This week's podcast starred Rowan Hooper and was produced and presented by me, Vas Christodoulou. The editor was John Doughty. Rowan's new book, How to Spend a Trillion Dollars, is out now. As ever, if you enjoyed the show, please do rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe and thanks for listening.